0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. When Bill Rasmussen launched ESPN on September 7th, 1979, he gave the world its first 24-hour television network and changed the way people viewed both television and sports. His innovations include the creation of SportsCenter, wall-to-wall coverage of NCAA regular season and March Madness College basketball, and coverage of the College World Series baseball tournament. Rasmussen, who wrote a book titled Sports Junkies Rejoice, The Birth of ESPN, talked with knowledge at Wharton about the challenges of founding a 24-7 sports network in the face of nearly universal skepticism, what entrepreneurs need to succeed, and why he doesn't ever plan to retire.
1: We are just so pleased to have Bill Rasmussen, who is the creator and founder of ESPN. Bill, thank you so much for taking some time to spend with us. Thank you, Derek. Looking forward to it. Well, the first question I've got for you is, You know, when you created and launched ESPN, what was your vision at the time, and and how close is that vision to what we see today?
2: What we set out to do was uh, I had this, this feeling that uh, people were really interested in sports because I was. You know, if I'm interested in it, everybody must be, right? But it turns out that was the case. But we, th- we had enough evidence that people were interested in sports. And we thought sports 24 hours a day addresses a lot of the problems that I thought, at least, the networks were missing. Basically, in the 1970s, um, television was New York-centric. They had the news go on at 11 o'clock because they figured everybody would go to bed. Those that stayed up late could watch the late show, but still at 1 o'clock in the morning, we signed off. I was working at a local NBC station, and come 1 o'clock in the morning, we'd say, you've been watching, thank you very much, and here's the national anthem, and so on. Um, but there are a lot of people who work different shifts. They work from 11 to 7. Some people work overnight. Some people work from the middle of the afternoon, and they missed all of the, uh, all of the things like movies and news and the good things that people would enjoy and sports. And in the late 1970s, the three big networks—ABC, uh, CBS, and NBC—only did about 25 football games a year. Can you imagine life with only 25 football games televised in a year? And we said, "Well, we're going to do them all the time. We can, you know, we can just do more football than anybody." Uh, as an aside, I raised that question a year ago when I was up at ESPN for one of their anniversaries. And, reminded them when we started that's what the networks were doing and George Bodenheimer, the president, looked over and nodded at somebody because he knew I was going to say I have no idea how many you're doing today. That particular year, 2010, they were doing 417 on ESPN alone, college football games. But we started off to be uh, a sports source no matter what time of the day anybody wanted to tune in, whether it was a game or uh, news, sports scores, whatever it might be and the idea being that if you came home at three in the morning and if, if you would just been out uh, with your neighbors for dinner at seven thirty, and you didn't want to watch whatever the networks were offering you could come and find some sports and so sports center of course filled a great need and today sports center is the most uh, um, repeated there have been more editions of sports center than any other show in the history of television so people must like the idea and from then to now, I don't think it's changed really very much at all. What has changed is the technology to deliver the same message that we came up with in, and that is sports, sports, and more sports.
1: Well, I tell you, it's it's interesting. It's uh, you know one of those early questions that that I remember reading that you that you got was, well, who's going to watch sports twenty four seven? Right, and uh, you know, and and I think you just answered it sort of you know brilliantly. From the perspective, of... It, it's just amazing. It, you know, when
2: we, 24/7. Then who's, that's 8,760 hours a year. That's that's a lot of sports, especially when the big three networks combined were only doing like 1,300 hours back in those days. But then when the talk came up of a second ESPN, oh, now that's way too much saturation. You know, it's now seriously nobody's going to watch. How many people are going to watch? Well, today ESPN alone, not counting all of the other people that do sports, ESPN has 52 networks around the world, 24/7. People must like sports.
1: Well, so, so take me back to, to the late 70s and with the, with the media landscape, the way that it was in the late 70s, what made you think that you know, a, there was no 24-7 network that, at that's all? That's right. There Not was. sports. There was no 24-7 network. What made you think that this could be successful? And then also with respect to competing against the, the sports network behemoths. Well,
2: the, the big guys uh, basically dominated television for 28 years. Uh, television sets in those days, and it's hard for a lot of folks to believe today or remember today, only had 12 channels. That's all you could get. There was no set-top box that could bring magically other things from around the world. And because of the um, FCC regulations of the day, many of those... Twelve channels were occupied by the big three networks because if the, any of their signal touched a franchise area, the franchise had to carry it. So it was not uncommon to see two ABCs, three NBCs, and two CBS stations or something. All in, you could just go up and down the dial. So they only left five channels for everybody else. And uh, basically, cable television that that in that era was really nothing more than signal enhancement to take a signal that they could get at a at a tower someplace and send it off to people that couldn't get a good picture of the three major networks. Fortunately for us, the uh, powers that be at the major networks decided that this was it. They had uh, conquered the world and nothing was ever gonna change. Their dominance was there and it was gonna be that way forever. Well, as you and I know, Derek, nothing's forever. Things change. (laughs) And we challenged them. They thought we were crazy. They all said it wouldn't work. Who's gonna watch all the things that you just mentioned? And uh, suddenly we found, and we were tapping into what I felt then, and uh, obviously has been confirmed over the years, the biggest demographic swath you can imagine. It's not men 25 to 34. It's not women of a certain age or kids. It's our, our demographic was sports fans. and ESPN to this day, on the back of their card, their mission statement is to serve the fan, and so we had a demographic area that doesn't make any difference, north, south, east, west, young, old, male, female, rich, poor, whatever. Uh, we were going to go after that. And if you think about it, that is about the biggest demographic you can find other than being an American, for example. We're all Americans, okay, but probably 90-some percent of us also have a team we root for, and that's, and that's the market that we went after.
1: Well, you were talking about the, uh, the big three networks mm-hmm. uh, back, back in the 70s. It, why is it? That we could not find ESPN in the TV Guide in the in the early days. Well, because of the development of the network industry, the big three basically controlled TV
2: Guide and Nielsen. We couldn't get Nielsen to rate uh, programs either. They would not go out and audit you know for viewership until well into the '80s. The TV Guide decided. Well, um, we kept after them and kept after them, and they said. Well, the, the, and this was a vice president, so he obviously was well up the chain, and he said, we won't list you because real networks only have three letters. How's that for a kind of a jaded view of the world? In other words, the people that are paying our bills are the only ones that count, and they all have three letters. When they finally did list us, they, in fact, listed us as ESN. They made us a three-letter network for a short while, but, of course, that turned
1: into ESPN eventually. They, they finally woke up and, and smelled, <laughs> exactly. smelled the coffee. Uh, now, ESPN was, was not your first entrepreneurial venture and has not been your last. What is it that you believe that, that it takes to give uh, an entrepreneurial opportunity, the, the best opportunity to succeed? First of all, being in our country is great. Nobody, we don't have to go and ask
2: permission to start a, uh, to develop a new idea. My first one was back in 1959. And it just, uh, if you're curious and you ask enough questions, you'll say, wow, nobody's doing that. How about let's try this? The problem with let's try this is sometimes it doesn't work. Most times it doesn't work. But if an entrepreneur, uh, someone wants to be an entrepreneur and they're not curious and not passionate about what they want to do, they're not going to succeed. And so I've been curious my entire life and asking questions and why doesn't this work and how does. That work and why can't we do this and the first company was that uh, an advertising service company it, it build a better mousetrap build a better mousetrap as they say um, and passion uh, you and I talked about it if an entrepreneur says gee you know I've got an idea I think, it's, I think it's going to work. I think I'll go ask someone, you know, I'm going to go see Derek and see if he'd like to invest in my idea. And then Derek, well, I kind of, I think this might work. You're probably not going to be too enthused. But if I come to you and say, Derek, this is just, gang, this idea, I can't tell you how it's going to explode upon the landscape. You might not, you might say I'm a little over overreacting a little bit, but you'll also see I'm pretty passionate about it. So you might say, I think we're going to take a ride with this one and let's see what happens. And all of a sudden we have a success. Uh, and I think the culture in which we live lets that happen. It, it's, it's just, um, what, it fertilizes good ideas, you know, just uh, uh, come up with an idea, go try it. You don't have to know everything there is to know about that topic. You don't have to know any of the facts, really. You can find somebody who knows. I don't know, I don't know how television pictures fly through the air, but I've been fairly successful in television, you know, so I don't have to know all that technical stuff. And um, you just have to have the vision and, and, and the passion.
1: Well, you, you know, this, this theme of passion, I continue to hear from you. And speaking of passion, so ESPN is now seen essentially all over the world. Indeed. So when you look 30-plus years after you created this, this baby, how does it feel to you personally to, to have created something that is consumed around the world and is part of people's daily lives? You know, that's an interesting
2: question and it hadn't even, had never been asked until just recently. And I I really don't think about it. I mean, obviously, I'm proud of it. Um, And it's been kind of like watching your kids grow up to be successful lawyers, doctors, pollsters, and in the case of one of my sons. But it's amazing. And I, I, you know, everywhere you go, I see it. You see it in the hotels, you see it in the restaurants, you see it everywhere. And, And people get all excited and they're talking about ESPN. And I just, you know, sit and have my hamburger and don't say anything. and uh, sometimes I think about, gee, they wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that but but it really, I, I'm just I'm not overwhelmed. I'm just it's kind of incredulous when you think about it, but I haven't been there every step of the way. It was an idea. It's you know um, it'd be kind of like asking Edison when you walked into a place with a lot of light bulbs. you know, what do you think when you look around here and you're the guy that invented the light bulb? I, I don't know what he would say. And so I don't really know what to say, but I am
1: proud of it. That's great. Uh, you know, I was watching ESPN last week, as a matter of fact, as, as I do every day. <laughs> and uh, and there was a press conference with, with Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was to announce that he was no longer going to be part of the uh, the Indianapolis Colts organization. Right. And a reporter asked him, why are you still going to continue to play do you feel that you have something to prove? And uh, and Peyton's response was something to the effect of, well, I still like to play, and no, I don't have anything to prove. So you're still an entrepreneur. You're still involved in new ventures. Why don't you just retire? <laughs> well, I tried it once, <laughs> and, and retirement's not much fun. <laughs> Actually, I did
2: did try it, and I played golf every day for 21 days and was bored silly, and within a month had another company going. I think uh, if you stop exercising your brain and you stop doing what you've been doing along, along life's road, uh, you're, you're probably going to, I don't know whether well, you'll just die instantly, but I'm just curious. I, I suspect I'm going to be curious about things until I do die. I'm uh, I'm fascinated, and I love to see young, enthusiastic, uh, men and women getting involved in whatever it is. One of the things that I enjoy is speaking in, to groups like here at, at the Wharton School, meeting the young men and women and their enthusiasm. That that's inspiring to me. So, I guess I'll just keep on doing it. I
1: can't really tell you why. <laughs> well, i taking you forward, and I'm going to take you back to you know to early days in, in high school. Were you passionate about sports as a oh. as a youth, and, and oh, what it led long, to your passion? Long before high school,
2: long before even in grade school, I was passionate about sports, and I was so uh, pleased. I could, as I mentioned earlier, I could really run. For some reason, I was fast. Don't look so fast these days, but I was those days. <laughs> and uh, when uh, the eighth grade team asked me, as a fifth grader, to play left field because I could run and 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 I had an aptitude for baseball and softball in those days. I was really excited about that and I used to follow the White Sox and the Cubs my grandfather saw every game of the 1906 Chicago World Series White Sox and Cubs the only time they ever played. And uh, he he indoctrinated me early on about baseball and I saw Bob Feller pitch on opening day in 1940 and those were those were exciting things. So I was really I was into uh, sports early in grade school, and by the time I got to high school, it was, it had become long since a passion. I could I could tell you about major league rosters and why the Cubs were hated and the White Sox because I lived on the south side of Chicago, where the were the team of choice. Um, by the time I was in the fourth, third, and fourth grade, I was um, reciting statistics and so on and. Luke Appling batted 388 in 1936 and won the title. You probably didn't realize that batting title in the American League, but things like that—they stick. I don't know why. But in high school, I um, I got to play baseball and uh, and just really really enjoyed it. And then we played summer leagues and fall leagues and anytime that we weren't in school, we were playing and right through American Legion and and everything. And uh, and even then, though we were and I was with, I think people that were involved in sports were very very active alive and they all went on to do great things and uh, great things not necessarily like ESPN that even still boggles my mind as you know but um, I think sports spawns competitiveness and makes people want to do things a little bit better and uh, in some cases a lot better and they make it all
1: the way to the major leagues. Well so we're talking about uh, you know where you, you started with your passion in sports as a, as a player, as a participant. Mm-hmm. And between that time and when you founded ESPN, you were involved in, in sports from a, from a business perspective. How is it that you became involved in the business of sports, and how did that lead ultimately well, to?
2: Well, as I wanted to play baseball, and I had an opportunity at, uh, at the end of high school, but it was the very day we graduated from high school Korean North Koreans, Went across the 37th parallel and created a situation where anybody with a college deferment ought to take their college deferment or they would be going into the army Uh, i wanted to play baseball uh, went to college played some more went to the air force when i got out played some more and by the time i got out of the air force um, age starts to catch up with you and the fact that curveballs are tough enough to hit when you're young became a factor. So I said, well, I'm gonna, I want to be a broadcaster. Um, I couldn't do that instantly because in the middle 1950s, radio and television weren't very much. I mean, it was uh, each team had their own radio station. New York had uh, three stations, one each with the Giants, uh, Yankees, and Brooklyn Dodgers. Um, so there was no opportunity there. So I said, well, we'll, we'll do something. I'm going to do something in sports before this life passes me by. And on my 30th birthday, I retired from the first company. Retired's a bad word. I just left the first company by agreement uh, with enough money uh, to pursue a broadcasting career. And that was one of my first brash steps in, in the broadcasting business. I looked in a Broadcasting Magazine. They had these little, little, uh, basically classified ads. Station needs sportscaster called such and such, or newscaster, whatever it was. And I found one nearby in Westerly, Rhode Island. And the guy said, "Sure, come on up." He was looking for a sports director for a new station. So I went up, and he said, "Well, tell me what station you've been at." I said, "I haven't." He said, "Well, what about your background in in radio?" I said, "I have none." He said. And what makes you think you can be a sportscaster? And why should I hire you? And I said, because I can, and, and I'll be a really, really good one for you. And I'm, he said, you know what? I'm going to hire you. So you have to go ask the question. So he asked, and I started in radio, and that led within about uh, 15 or 18 months to television and on and on. One thing led to another, and we did radio networks and a lot of uh, TV broadcasting and, and then hockey broadcasting. And each step along the way, I was doing independent little networks. Trying to figure out how it worked, and I didn't realize that the, that this wasn't what everybody did. You know, it, it just seemed that it had to be done, so I went and did it.
1: So it's interesting. So you know, these days uh, there's not a lot of uh, mixing between uh, you know on-air personality and suits, right? The executives, right. you yeah. know, sort of behind behind the business. Exactly. But you made a transition, and not a small transition, from. On camera or on air, yep. to you know, again, as we know, founding a, a pretty sizable and successful business. What's 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 the secret to being able to make that type of a transition?
2: You know, uh, that's a good question. I uh, it just seemed very natural to me, but people say uh, ask that question like why why'd you do that or how I don't know how I did it. I it just. I was a broadcaster and I wanted to get a network put together that would get the message out to more people than I could do at a local station. Well, best way to do it is to go hook up some more stations. So I had to figure out how you do that. And that became kind of a a background. And so by the time I was fired from my job at the Whalers to start ESPN, I knew about phone lines and local connections and AT&T and all that and and, uh, at the same time RCA AmeriCom had developed and launched the first communication satellite. Not very many people knew about it and we just almost fell into the idea that we could do something across all of North America with one signal to one point and not have to go through all this television uh, long lines business with AT&T. back in the 60s when I was starting radio and broadcasting and putting networks together that I had learned all that stuff about AT&T so here was something else to learn what about the satellite business I didn't even know you called them transponders when we started talking about it but it doesn't make any difference as long as you know what it is that just you know you sound it sounds like you're going to be embarrassed talking about something you don't know anything about but you have to ask the questions and when you're passionate and they're telling you yeah you can do this okay we'll do it oh, by the way, it's gonna cost a little money. Well, we'll figure that out later. So that's just the way it's been all my life. And I guess I should start to slow down, but uh, I don't know, it's too much
1: fun. Yeah, don't do that, please. <laughs> uh, so let's, going, back to you, going back to your passions, what is your favorite sport and why? Baseball,
2: only because I've, I've played it forever. And ESPN has a great show, Baseball Tonight, where and Peter Gammons, who I've known for 40 years, uh, I just think he does a great job. Had has for 40 years, to, first in, in the newspaper, in the Boston area, and on ESPN.
1: Now, uh, let's talk about mentors. Have you had any real mentors in your career, and is there any particular advice that uh, they've been able to give to, to help you, if so?
2: I, I think back in my undergraduate days, there were a couple of professors who were unique and stand out, and oddly enough, one of them was an American history professor. And it was his passion for the Civil War, believe it or not, that led him once a year to hold a a two-night class, for want of a better word, where he would do the Battle of Gettysburg on two huge relief tables, basically. I mean, everything in proper relief and to scale. And these tables were like, you know, 14, 15 feet long, and he would walk around, and his white hair would be flowing, and you could see his, his passion just oozed everywhere, and he knew everything there was to know about it, and they were turning kids away. You couldn't. He had to do it for two nights because everybody wanted to hear him, and this is a history professor, but and I had him in class, and he was just, he was absolutely inspiring and the other one was a financial organization and investment economics professor how's that for an, inspire, an inspiration and and he had the same kind of passion and in those days we didn't have computers and laptops and all of those things we didn't have you know whiteboards and grease pencils and so on we had old-fashioned blackboards and chalk and he'd start by the windows on the blackboard and he'd be going along and he'd ask questions over his shoulder and if he didn't hear an answer from someone that he had asked you know he'd say Derek, what about, uh, you know, and he's writing and talking, and if you didn't turn around, he, t- and he was left-handed, he'd turn around, he'd fire one of those uh, erasers, those felt erasers, he'd hit kids in the shoulder and in the forehead and so on. Pay attention, pay attention. So, wow, this. if this guy is this passionate about numbers and economics, there must be something to this business, of business. And so those two guys... I don't know. You'd call them mentors, but they were sure two impre- uh, two uh, professors who
1: made <laughs> monstrous impressions. Well, they clearly made an made an impression on you, and and the passion is what what yeah. certainly comes through and uh, and translates. What um, what's your advice for young people who who may be considering a career, either in sports broadcasting or or more generally in the business of sports? First of all, they,
2: they have to obviously. Sports has to be a passion; or they wouldn't even be thinking about that. They, whether it's it's just they're curious about being a television producer or announcer or a, a lawyer at the you know at the uh, one of the major networks or whatever it might be. But I think what they have to do is understand, and the best way to understand how sports begins is it doesn't hurt to start small. Go and be a production assistant someplace. Go to a small radio station. Learn all you can learn. Ask all the questions you can ask. And when somebody's kind of, you know, brushing you off and saying, yeah, don't bother me, kid, you know, just say, well, I'm not, I don't mean to bother you. I, I really want to know. you I, I have a passion to learn this business, and I want to be, you know, doing what you're doing, or I want to do fill-in-the-blank, whatever they might want to do. Uh, and and carry that passion into every interview and be prepared. Uh, if you're going to ESPN, you know, you don't want to talk about things that the Cooking Channel has been Doing and I'm not putting down the cooking channel. If you're going to the cooking channel, you don't want to be a sports fan. You want to. You better know what you're talking about there. But um, I, I've just always believed that that paying attention, learn as much as you can beforehand. But all the facts are not necessary. You'll 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 learn the facts. You'll learn the specifics of the business. But whoever it is that you're applying to has to has to see the the passion, see the desire to be successful. And I see. I'm fortunate in that I see a lot of those, you just know they're going to be successful kids, folks here at Wharton and schools across the country. And then you see others who, you know, they don't even want to walk across the street unless it's required. And, uh, and I don't mean to be putting anybody down, but the people with the passion, the people who ask the questions, the people who are willing and anxious, I guess would be a better word, anxious to learn all there is, they're the ones who are going to succeed. And, you know, it's amazing. You can pick almost any field, and and if the youngster has that passion, they can learn anything. It doesn't have to be sports. It can be Wall Street. It can be the Cooking Channel. It can be anything. Um, Passion, enthusiasm, and never be afraid to ask questions.
1: Well, that is a great note for us to finish up on. On behalf of the Wharton School and the Wharton Sports Business Initiative, thank you so much, Bill.
0: Thank you, Derek. Enjoyed it very much. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.